Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, ahoy, Pete. Starfleet Command ought to just start engraving my name on a plaque right now. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, featuring Lower Decks for episode 104, Moist Vessel, comes to you now via Holodeck Biofilter. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode, Pete, though we are in the middle of Lower Decks, of course, also looking ahead to Star Trek Discovery returning for season three in October, the news in the last week that CBS broadcast is going to use season one as a, uh, I don't mean this in a negative way, but as a spot filler, you know, difficult to fill the the fall schedule with uh, pandemic shutdown, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we're both, uh, I mean, A, unoffended that this has to be done in the times of, you know, uh, of, of great need and lack of production. But also it's a hope for new people who have not gotten on board with the show to get season one for free. You want to get more of season one right away, get that subscription. You want to join us after the, the free season ends. That's an option as well. I have to imagine that once season one has aired uh, to completion, that Picard would be the next one out. Um, Again, trying to, you would figure by that time, we might, fingers crossed, be in active production in terms of uh, where we are in the pandemic on season two. But then they've got season two of Discovery waiting in the wings as well to potentially air. So, I mean, this is the battle that pretty much every provider is fighting right now. What they have in the cupboard uh, versus what they need to do. CBS schedule is largely for this fall reality show and Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, and I think generally speaking... Vancouver-based productions, I'm not just talking CBS here, but Vancouver-based productions uh, are getting off the ground in the next week or two. And then I think there's the hope that Los Angeles-based productions end of September, early October. So insofar as this might be a scheduling stopgap and a way to fill uh, Thursdays at 10 p.m. for 15 weeks. Uh, maybe you do a two hour, you know, whatever to, to make it go faster or maybe you delay it because there's a uh, a special of some sort. But I think that's, you know, it's a way to fill a spot in the schedule. And the hope being by the time you get to November, December, you can start sprinkling in some new episodes of your regular programming. But, you know, I know, you know, some people were kind of upset. Hey, the thing I paid for is now free. Other people were making hay like, look, it's proof. It's all it's all, you know, gone to pot. You know, again, Hollywood shut down like a lot of industries, and it, it's disingenuous to say this is proof that Star Trek is rotten from the inside. No, it's it's a thing that broadcast people haven't seen, and like I said before, it makes sense to me. Maybe it drives CBS all-access subscriptions. Maybe it doesn't, but in the meanwhile, it's free for CBS. And I think that people will tune in and watch it, and I think it's going to be uh, an entry point for... Uh... For a lot of viewers, we also have some small kind of not even quite rumors, but, you know, Wilson Cruz on social media saying getting into shape for more Star Trek discovery and showing off his uh, considerable muscles. 
Uh, and, you know, does that maybe lean towards uh, Secret Renewal Season 4? Or I shouldn't say secret, but, you know, yet to be formally announced. Maybe, question mark. But, uh, you know, certainly a green board as we look to Star Trek's future here. Alex Kurtzman has explicitly stated that writing rooms are up for all of the series at this point, taking advantage of the time in the pandemic to hone things. Um, Matt, is this proof that um, the doctor will change divisions and will be the chief of security? Uh, I guess... Pete, I guess anything is an option, uh, but certainly the best news, yeah, as you mentioned there, that uh, that the writing rooms are are underway. I know I've I've seen the comment on Deadline a number of times. The only people in Hollywood who have continued to work are the writers. Everybody else, in terms of you know, obviously the physical end of productions, uh, have been out of work. I guess too, you have your post production people finishing up work that was started in the winter. We also are still in the process of recording our agents of shield series wrap. We have pushed that back a week, obviously in deference to the loss of Chadwick Bozeman. We put a brief podcast together for that, uh, which is now available with that. Let's bring things fully back to star Trek and get ready for our ready rundown program complete. Enter when ready. Freeman's voice over notes the Cerritos at a defunct generation ship with a goo that makes life grow where it was not. They're partnered with the USS Merced and Captain Durango. Mariner yawns through the briefing, undercutting her captain, her mother. That earns her a private talking to. Captain Freeman is fed up with Mariner's insubordination. Commander Ransom suggests sending Mariner to the worst jobs on the ship, and the ensign is headed to Turbolift Lubing, holodeck waste removal, and taking carbon off the carbon filter. Montage of Mariner's drudgery, though she turns carbon filter cleaning into a friendly competition, finding joy where there was none. Ransom shares that fact with the captain, and Freeman has a new plan. Mariner is promoted to lieutenant and is now part of the senior staff. Let's debate conference chairs. Let's audit missions. Let's have leadership lessons via songs and acting and friendly poker. Boimler's takeaway? Be a bad boy. Tendi, meanwhile, is headed to see a meditative ascension, where Lieutenant O'Connor will, presumably, meditate from the physical realm into pure energy. Tendi trips and falls, upsetting both the Sand Mandala and Lieutenant O'Connor. She makes multiple attempts to mend fences, make up, and make friends with the lieutenant. The ship's mission continues, a chance for Freeman and, uh, Durango? To make a name with the mummy ship. On the Merced... Durango wants to move his ship closer to the artifact, since he's the lead ship. That leads to pulling transforming goo onto his ship, putting it in distress. A lesser amount also hits the Cerritos, leading to catastrophe. Mariner, expertly reading the situation with Freeman in tow, moves to solve the shipwide problem via environmental controls. We see Freeman treating her daughter like a child. But who's the child who's trying to trick Mariner into leaving? Intercut is O'Connor, who admits to Tendi to having been faking being the Ascension guy. Mariner texts the tech, and her mother is impressed. O'Connor relaxes enough to actually ascend. He faked it so long, he's making it now. He turns into pure energy, sees Abraham Lincoln, and a smiling koala. Mariner and Freeman beam the Merced crew onto the mummy ship, and on the Cerritos, Captain Freeman and Lieutenant Mariner receive Admiral Vassery for commendations. 
Mariner makes fawn of how he says censors and yawns at the Admiral. Next stop, demotion, and a return to the lower decks. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, with that threat analysis, let's talk about the big bad of this episode. I'm talking terraforming emulsion from a generation ship. Yes, this molecular fluid here that can turn uh, inorganic material into organic. I, I think the conceit of this episode, and we'll talk more about it in our long-range sensors segment. It sounds uh, fun. Is really smart from a Star Trekian standpoint, and we've seen stuff like this before, um, you know. But being able to make this the chief threat of an episode that uh, they they bring in this compound, you know, uh, first contact type of stuff all right let's let's help it along and it winds up blowing up in their face and once again we see fantastic and tight integration between the a story and the b story here because yes there's this goo that makes things grow where uh where it had not before the main takeaway from mariner's arc in this episode is that she's able to find joy and purpose where there is none and the fact that once again these two uh, storylines intersect at the climax of the episode, again, it's something I would not have necessarily expected from the Star Trek cartoon. And indeed, there's many a Star Trek episode, particularly you know the Golden Age of uh, Next Generation stuff, where Data's desire to dance with Doctor Crusher is in no way connected to you know, the microscopic life form scan that they're doing that only exists in two dimensions, not three. And to have, again, this theme in this episode of, you know, of of creating something out of nothing and finding the positive where it appears to be all negative, things of that sort. I'm just blown away that in 22 minutes we get the science story, we get character stuff, and we get, as I said, the intertwining plot that, that works uh, hand and glove together. And when you bring in the B story of O'Connor seeking ascension and Tendi's obsession with that, um, to essentially villainize him because he's lied about it, um, and then to have him inadvertently attain ascension within this, uh, you know, Star Trek comedic cartoon, I think, is doubly entertaining. Yeah. Uh, it ties into previous Star Trek stuff. I mean, heck, the episode referencing uh, The Traveler and Q and things like that. Uh, but then just adding to it the unexpected arc of O'Connor not being this calm guy. And I think what's interesting on Rewatch in particular, you can see how not only is he kind of peeking at, at Tendi as she goes by because he's looking for the out, but you can see immediately his emotional cup spilleth over and it's out of line with this guy who's supposedly all calm. And it's, again, you know, how long is O'Connor on screen for? Five, six minutes? You still get this kind of understandable arc for him. And then ambition being the last threat of this episode, both with Mariner promoted 
you know, failing upward. And then this tension between Captain Starango and Freeman over who's going to get closer to tow the vessel into, uh, you know, a star base. Yeah. And to me, the, the, the takeaway being, you know, Durango obviously ending up on that ship, I, on the, the mummy ship, him and his crew, uh, we have no doubts that they're going to be rescued fairly soon by, you know, the, the next ship to come along, whatever, whatever, you know, the next Starfleet ship that's going to help them out, that kind of thing. Um, but Durango's attempt to fly higher, resulting in this uh, Icarus-like fall, and I don't know that we're working on a, on a season trajectory for Freeman to to be the the, the higher uh, recognized captain than she was at the start of the season. But this doesn't hurt that they were the ship in the right, that they solved the problem, that they saved the crew of both ships and whatnot. Well, Matt, not ambitious, but appreciated nonetheless is everybody who goes to patreon.com slash fantastic geek help us out with our the bandwidth and all the other associated costs of bringing you not just lower decks but discovery picard and then into the marvel universe and then the mandalorian all the podcasts of the family of podcasts for fantastic geek Pete, our schedule certainly busy in terms of a variety of things that we podcast. I think just because of the nature of 2020 and you know less shows being out there, maybe less podcasts overall this year, but that gives us a chance to dig deeper as indeed we're doing now. So that support given to us on Patreon, always an appreciated thing. Can't contribute right now. That's fine. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It takes just seconds out of a number of stars. Leave us a rating. It takes just seconds out of a number of stars. Leave us a review. It takes a little longer. All appreciated. Pete, as we set our long-range sensors towards sensors, sensors indeed. Uh, did you catch, by the way, perhaps the most important uh, advancement in terms of story this episode? Did you happen to catch the color of the piping on the USS Merced? I did not. It has blue uh, blue accents on the piping, or the piping itself is blue. That's because, Pete, for the California-class ships, uh, they all have either yellow, as in the case of uh, of the USS Cerritos, which is more an engineering ops kind of ship. And then you have the, uh, what I'm assuming is more the science or perhaps medical uh, bent of the Merced. And we can keep an eye out for uh, a red pipe ship, whatever, uh, whatever kind of command type missions that might be on. Well, I think what it's going to inadvertently do is uh, have the conspiracy theorists tongues wagging. Remember when they freaked out at, the end of Picard, the fleet showed up that Riker was leading and it was all the same style of ship. And they were claiming CBS was all access is out of budget money and whatever. Surely they're going to do the same thing. And that the animators are now drawing the same ship over and over. Right, Matt? You know, I mean, first of all, there's the, <laughs> 
there's the age-old tradition in Star Trek to be recycling uh, ship models, whether they're digital mm-hmm. or physical. I think the criticism at the end of that first season of Picard is valid because it really, really, really did look like a copy-paste job, uh, even though I know some of the visual effects people were like, no, there were four different classes of ships, you know, whatever. Fine. That was one thing. There were, whatever, 30, 40 ships showing up there. Here, two ships uh, showing up to what we assume, it, since it is a California-class ship, it being a slightly lower-level priority here. Um, it has uh, ops and engineering concerns to it. It has uh, medical and science concerns to it. So you have two, uh, two of these different ships show up. Does it also result in you get to have another ship and you copy-paste the bridge and now you're just going to change the lighting ever so slightly? Sure, that's what all shows do. Um, and the ship design, the exterior ship design, just changed the the hull color a bit. Sure, that's just simply what is done. But within this story, it makes complete sense. How about the use of the captain's log at the beginning of the episode transitioning to the briefing, which I thought was a pretty cool way to go about that. Yeah, we haven't seen that before, uh, probably because in the past when they've wanted to do opening expositional narrative with the captain's log, they have enough time to set the table and then enough time to say, you know, we will be speaking to everyone and then to have a three minute scene where it's the briefing uh, here shorter episodes because it's animation and uh to me it just worked it kind of you know kind of it was like stepping onto an escalator where it's like oh and we're moving and uh and that was unexpected but a delight some interesting backstory here between captain carol freeman it's first time we've said her name on screen and captain durango of the merced they serve together on the illinois keep wondering too with the story the backstory that we're carving out for these characters at what point we might flash back to see them at other times i think that that could be a fun story development whether we flash back or whether it's some sort of time device and i think too it's giving us in both the freeman durango competition and also kind of o'connor versus starfleet competition uh and indeed the Boimler versus Mariner kind of sorta in that he wants to advance and she does advance. We're seeing what it's like when we don't have the best of the best and they are in competition with others who are not the best of the best. You know, that Enterprise D crew handpicked by Picard, flagship of the fleet, etc. And yes, Deep Space Nine, Commander Sisko was sent to the, you know, to the outer reaches where nobody would care. And oh, now that it's important because of the uh because of the wormhole, do we get rid of him? And you know, things like that. But the conflict there was Cisco upwardly mobile, even though he didn't know it at the time, with the local crew. Same thing with Voyager. You know, very capable Starfleet crew. Oh no, half of them are dead. Oh no, we need to now work with the Maquis, who are going to be subservient because they're not Starfleet. Here it's just Starfleet versus Starfleet, and it's a fresh take. Is the crew aware of mariner's relationship to captain freeman i would say no way no how and the key here is when ransom comes into the uh to the ready room after mariner is uh is chewed out but then also leaves you know she's she's being yelled at as the door is open which i think 
maybe not 110% realistic for the best captain ever, but can I understand how Mariners under Freeman's skin? Absolutely. But my point is this, the way Ransom is just casually saying, well, you want to get rid of her, I'll give you an option. Just give her terrible jobs and she'll kind of quit on her own. I don't think Ransom, who comes off as a good guy, a reliable guy, happy to be number two, happy to happy to set his ego aside so he can give good ideas to the captain who claims they're her ideas. Um, I don't think he would be quite so flippant if it was, oh no, there's a major mother-daughter dysfunction here and I need to deal with it differently other than, ah, she's no good. Make her clean the poop filter, if indeed Pete it is poop, uh, and then she'll <laughs> then she'll ask to leave. Uh, we're we're going to get to that subject in a little bit, but uh, let, let's talk about, you know, where the poop's got to come from, Matt. The replicator programs and this notion that there are A-League replicator programs and B-League replicator programs for the different decks. I think it's interesting uh, because uh, if we take Star Trek and the Star Trek uh, universe, lowercase u here, uh, kind of at face value where uh, humanity, Earth is an Eden and you want for nothing and there are no beds without blankets. There are no, uh, you know, starving stomachs at the end of the night. Uh, then presumably everybody gets whatever they want. Now, I think there's also this drive in humans where you work to get the things that you want, right? So I think that if you're Starfleet, um, things like the amount of space you have for your bedroom. I mean, heck, if you were a newly minted ensign, wouldn't you want to get the heck out of lower decks bunk beds and get into a room to call your own, even if it is just the the one room that we see Mariner in, presumably with a with an attached bathroom? Um wouldn't you want to be able at the end of a long shift to say, oh boy, I can't wait to get that flame and yawn versus the very nice steak that I can get in the lower decks. So again, some people might say, oh, it's, it's in complete opposition of, you know, there is no want. Well, there's, there's want in terms of, I'd like the cold rain to stop falling on my head when I sleep. And there's want in terms of, I would like a room that has a view from the top of the saucer, not the bottom. Rutherford kind of shifted to the sea story well in the background after, you know, being more towards the center of the story the last couple of weeks. Um, but contributing here, the concept of Q or a, uh, the traveler, um, Q makes sense that the rest of Starfleet would be aware. Obviously those would be the types of stories that, you know, whether it's um, the Elorians with uh, Guinan, okay, who had interacted with the Q, which I can only imagine Picard season two is, is going to do more of, or um, the stories about Picard. But the Traveler, I mean, you had the, the one charlatan Starfleet scientist who was basically using the Traveler, and you had... Wesley Crusher, who interacted with him, and now you have a, a lower decks cyborg bringing him up in conversation. Yeah, to me, it's win win in terms of, you know, do we get these geeky shout outs where, you know, Discovery can't do forward looking next generation type stuff, maybe with the exception of advanced communicator tech where you tap your badge and speak into it. Um, but 
you know, there's not exactly a home for that kind of concurrent to uh, what I think has become the the meat and potatoes of Star Trek fandom right now in terms of Next Generation Deep Space Nine Voyager. Um, so you get these shout outs. But I think what you're pointing to, Pete, is that in universe, it also is authentic. What are we, 15 years, 20 years after the Traveler did all these things? Of course, that story has been told. This guy that, you know, turned into energy and then came back and took Wesley Crusher with him. Ditto on Q. I mean, my goodness, if there's not, you know, there's got to be Starfleet Academy courses talking about Q and what that means for uh, philosophical interpretations and scientific interpretations and things of that sort. So I think it's just part of the 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 lingua franca of the world that they live in in the 24th uh, century so of course there's going to be these references organically they also get to get written in for nerds like us after the preview had aired for this episode showing um the phasers being used but not what they were being used on and later it was revealed to be removing carbon from a carbon filter there were many freakouts on social media. Uh, why are they using this type phaser in this era? It's non-canonical. And boom, they were using it to clean stuff. Pete, you know, I'm a Star Trek fan through and through. Probably, you know, three, four times a year, I take the uh, Next Generation Technical Manual off the shelf. I leap, uh, leaf through Um have I seen Next Generation episodes more than the four Next Generation movies? You bet. But, you know, phaser pistol to my head, I could not tell you how the Next Generation movie era phasers were different, that the Type 2 hand phasers were different than they were on TNG. So, again, if there was a massive difference, fine. You've answered it in terms of it's, you know, it's gone from cutting edge you know, class H planet where the air might make the thing not work right. We need the best of the best. Now it's just, uh, this is a, a phaser tool. This is a, you know, it's useful for maybe phasering bad guys and also cleaning carbon scoring. It's a screwdriver. Cleaning out of the holodex biofilters, Matt, the admission finally that pretty much what the holodeck is for is a certain type of entertainment. Uh, I don't know that that would have been obvious in the seventies when the proto holodeck, the recreation room, as I believe it was called in the animated series, uh, was first floated. And certainly when the holodeck was floated in the eighties and nineties, shall we say, Pete, uh, home computers were not, uh, were obviously not as popular. And I think now though you and I only go to the purest of websites I think one must acknowledge, yeah, this is what's going on in the holodecks and probably a whole heck of a lot. And honestly, Pete, since it's the 24th century, probably everybody's cool with it. If that's that's what you want to go and do, fine, you be you. The thing that this episode, I think, really establishes Lower Decks as is the ability to do a larger-than-live-action story and then carve out that comedic niche um there's no way you could have ever done this story on this scale in live action if it wasn't a movie yeah and again that's leaning into what animation can bring you uh i'm sure doing the the plants and the coral and the flowers and whatnot that that's perhaps not as easy as 
attendee walks. But, you know, they've hired professional animators for a reason. And it's not to do a walk cycle endlessly. You know, this is not filmation. This is not, you know, uh, Star Trek TAS of the 70s where, you know, we're going to cover the mouth with a hand in order to not animate lips. They have professionals doing this. And to say, great, you're now in charge of a coral flower explosion coming out of the water. Uh, even thinking back to the uh, to, to the uh, online convention that there was a couple of weeks ago, these are artists that are excited to be doing these drawings and to be sharing art like this. And then when you look at what they're able to do with what goes on with um, O'Connor, okay, between this bird-like thing second episode in a row we've had a reference to to roddenberry to a great bird um the throwaway of abraham lincoln <laughs> oh yeah the giant koala and the secret of life all wound into a really humorous yet at the same time uniquely star trek conceit of an energy being pete i'm not quite sure into what category my feelings uh, should go about the O'Connor transformation. The fact that, oh no, it's burning, and then all of a sudden he kind of doesn't want to do it. Uh, it's slightly incongruous. And I'm not necessarily saying that as, uh, as a complaint. Uh, I, Pete, I certainly don't know what it's like to transfer from a, a being of matter to a being of energy. Uh, and maybe it's just kind of played for somewhat kind of sadistic, comedic uh, effect. And if so, that's fine. Uh, nobody has killed Kenny in this episode. You know, it, it, it's okay, but it, it was a slightly weird moment. And if you're saying, well, it's weird just to be weird because he's also going to see Abraham Lincoln, shout out to Classic Trek, and then just the koala, it's smiling. I mean, that is maybe the funniest <laughs> thing. And and not funny, like, they're not done. Just, it's, it's, it's such a non sequitur. It's going to stay with me for a long time. What does he know? Um, the it's not even throwaway. It's really an Easter egg. The, the art on the wall in the quarters that Mariner is given, uh, matches the art on a room that Riker, uh, goes into with, um, Shelby, right? Yeah. Shelby in, um, the best of both worlds. Okay. I, I think you summed it up, Matt, when I texted you uh, the side-by-sides. Yes, Pete. Jokingly, I said, these people don't know Star Trek. A side note, Pete, that is indeed an Easter egg. Uh, I did see uh, somebody tweeted out an article, and it probably, I, I think it was from one of, the, one of the major Star Trek websites, and I have no beef with them, but to sit and say, Easter eggs in uh, Lower Decks this week, we caught Easter eggs of things like The Traveler and Q... Yeah. Okay, those are not Easter eggs. They're those not. are full-on references that yeah. if you get, fine. If you don't, like, you know, Easter eggs are a thing that when you find them, you say, oh, look, I found an Easter egg, like you're saying the picture here, to reference Q in dialogue when people will say, oh, that must be Q. That's just a reference. Right. Um, the leaf blowers that are viewed cleaning up the hallways of the Cerritos. Uh, I thought that was an interesting wrinkle. Uh, yeah, I had wondered if maybe it was taking a design cue from uh, The Trouble with Edward, the Star Trek short trek, Emmy-nominated Star Trek short treks. Um, 
that uh, where they had a leaf sucker uh, picking up the tribbles. Uh, what caught me from that uh, particular scene, though, was also that they had uh, red eye protective gear, which was very evocative. Uh, indeed, I shouldn't even say evocative. It was a clear reference to uh, the the episode in which Idik is introduced in Classic Trek, and Spock has a similar, you know, far out eye protective thing, which is red as well. Last question: Sensors or sensors? Sensors. Sensors. With that, let's open hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Let us start with the Twitter poll, as we oftentimes do. Interesting results here. Uh, one rank pip, what's in the holodeck, got zero percent. Two rank pips, wilting plants, also got zero percent. Uh, three rank pips, tractor beam to my heart, got 41%. And then four pips getting the captaincy here is Koala Smiles getting almost 60% of the vote. So, Pete, we've done a lot of these Twitter polls over a bunch of different uh, TV series that we've podcasted. I don't think I've ever seen the bottom two getting no votes. Yeah, and I think the more that uh airs of lower decks the more people obviously understand what it is as a commodity and what to expect the last two episodes i think have been near flawless in their approach as a comedic yet reverent star trek show couple of tweets here first one from james it's at big killing on twitter another fun episode who doesn't need sci-fi humor in their life right now anyone that's actually worked with a parent can relate to the captain ensign struggle the dialogue is fast and i look forward to seeing what i missed during rewatches pete i think he has a great point here that some shows are of their time and some shows arrive to the time when they are needed and I'm glad we're not watching Star Trek Picard this summer into fall. I'm glad that we get something that's a little bit more silly and the more challenging Star Trek times are are behind us and not mid, you know, worst point or worst after effects of this pandemic. Yeah, and it's what they can deliver here. I think Discovery will, in its own way, oddly enough for the time, deliver what we need when that airs. One more tweet here from JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. Very nice. So Mariner's ability to lose rank far eclipses Michael Burnham. Wait, what if she's a descendant of Michael? Uh, that gave me a chuckle, Pete, the notion that both are uh, both are adept at going down then back up the, uh, the promotion demotion ladder. Right. Failing upward. Pete, with that, let's tune our sensors to some phone with Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 4. I did like the Captain Freeman, Ensign Mariner, or Lieutenant Mariner interaction. Also nice was the way how Boimler reacted to Mariner's promotion. And he tried to be bad because he thought that was the way to get a promotion. But actually it's not in his nature to do it like that. I did care less for the Tendi story. It was a little bit too much of neurotic behavior. What I didn't see coming is that Mariner at the end so misbehaved that she got demoted again. But if you see which tasks she had to do as a lieutenant, I can understand that. That was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. 
Pete, while I didn't find uh, Tendi to be tiresome this episode, I hear where Fred is coming from. I would say perhaps defense in defense of the episode, I think that we are seeing yet again how uh, Tendi is maybe a little less mature in the ways of of uh, of Starfleet. You know, obviously a new ensign and things of that sort. So her her eagerness to interact with people to me kind of vaguely suggests you know brought up in provincial orion not somebody who's traveled hither and yon and was it maybe a little annoying in this episode yes was it maybe skewing towards the animation end as opposed to the live action end in terms of believability yes to me though it kind of was in line with this very wide-eyed uh, character who still is new to the the grand universe and further differentiating our lower decks set of characters, the ones that are regulars for us, and then these others who are trying to get noticed. Pete, I can understand how Boimler might be frustrated. Uh, I guess it is what it is. Look, sometimes there's the written rules. Sometimes there's the unwritten rules. Um, certainly it helps hammer home that he does not know Mariner's big secret, that Freeman is her mom. Um as indeed is, I think we can assume, a shipwide secret. What I will just add to that is I think that it's interesting that nominal, you know, star of the show, Brad Boimler, really, really was a supporting character in this episode. You mentioned Rutherford as being basically uh, invisible. In terms of actual kind of importance to the plot, uh, I think Boimler is not far up from Rutherford in this episode. The characterization through the four episodes here that have aired very very tight okay mariner beckett is the rebel boimler the rigid rule follower tendy uh somebody who's just wide-eyed and ready for new experiences and rutherford lost in the the day-to-day and what he's comfortable with and Boimler makes the most sense as the secondary lead in terms of, okay, he wants this, but what's he going to do to get it? Oh, yeah, he's going to break the rules. It, it's not an entire episode of story. Obviously, Beckett's overshadows his, which can't be told without the other. Well, Pete, next week brings the midway point of this first season of Star Trek Lower Decks, but let's keep the conversation going. How can people be in touch with you to talk on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,463 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. As mentioned at the top of the episode, if you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be back next weekend first to talk a series finale for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., then, of course, returning for Star Trek Lower Decks. And if you're here just for the Star Trek stuff, you can look for that on Sunday, not Saturday. Uh, and then probably after next week, Pete, we will be settling into Star Trek Saturdays. But for now, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Damn this gorgeous coral. <laughs>